You're all saying, well, what is that wait for? Well, Richard's already expressed some interest, so we'll see in a moment. But let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for how you work in and through our lives and how you bring us here to worship and to learn and to grow and to lead us, Lord. We just give you thanks and praise, and we just ask that you would be with us in this time. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, before we get to the sermon, I have a little bit of praise um, to give you. You know, as a preacher, you're always wondering, are, are your sermons getting out to the people? Are, are, are people really learning from them? Are they really doing anything with the, with the information and the, the sharing of God's Word? And I got a great call yesterday from uh, Grant Tom, and he was saying, Remember, Pastor, the first week that you were here, you were preaching about going out and reaching out to those who are lost, the lost sheep, right? And he was sharing some good news with me, kind of a little bit of lost sheep, but we have a couple of visitors with us today that I wanted to point out, and they're probably like, oh no, why are you doing this? But it's good. Susie Sow and her friend Alice Lucas are here in our church today. And not only are they here today, but I have some really good news. Both of them have experienced battle with cancer, and both of them are cancer-free right now. And so when you hear things like that, it is so good to know that God is at work, that God is, is there to help us, right? Just like we're talking about in the children's sermon. Well, we're back in the book of Acts. We took a little break over the Advent season, had a great time talking about the, the hope and the, the peace and the love and the joy of Jesus and what Christmas means. I was kind of remarking this morning about how all the decorations are gone. Kind of makes me sad. You know, I think I told, uh, I told Greg, I said, I think I'm going to invent an un-Christmas tree and then un-Christmas decorations. So then, you know, you take the tree and the decorations down and then you put different ones up and they're still out, right? Because they're, they're un-Christmas. So anyway, I just love Christmas and the decorations and just how that just kind of draws you in to the presence of God and reminds you Lisa reminds me of the season of love, joy, hope, and peace and all that God has for us through Jesus. Well, as we get to the book of Acts, again, we remember our theme verse, and will you say that with me, Acts 1.8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so as we're going through the book of Acts, we're remembering that this is our theme verse because the book of Acts is about the disciples, about the people of God, about the followers of Christ being witnesses. And Christ is calling us to be his witnesses to those around us. And so this is what we see in the book of Acts. This is the, what we see the challenge of God in our lives, that we are called to be witnesses for Christ. We're called to be witnesses in our city and in our county and in our state and on our a country and in our world, we are called to be witnesses for Christ. Because if you and I don't do it, then who will do it, right? God calls you and me to be his witnesses and to spread his word. What if I told you that the best things that have happened to you are the trials, heartaches, and disappointments in your life? Would you agree with me? Some are nodding their head. Most are saying, no, that's not... Well, maybe they're not the best for you, but you know what? 
the heartaches and the disappointments and the trials are definitely part of God's plan to help you grow and help you move forward in life. And this is why. Let me read from you from James 1, 2-5. And whenever you see yellow, would you please read with me? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Consider it pure joy, he says. You're like, how is that possible? How can I consider my trials, my testing, my heartaches, my struggles, my hardships? How can I consider that pure joy? And he says, you can consider it joy because there is a result from the trials and the hardships and the heartaches that you go through. James tells us that when we face trials, we are more open to the help and the wisdom of God, right? Kind of like Patrick trying to put, pick me up. And if I said, you have got to pick me up, you have got to find a way to pick me up, and he would be thinking like, oh, how can I do this? How can I do this? He would probably want to, he'd probably start looking around like, who is strong enough to help me in this endeavor, right? Right? And that's what our trials and our hardships and our heartaches do. We say, who is strong enough to help me in this endeavor? And we think, God. And we are drawn to God to help us get through it, to help us overcome it, to help us have wisdom in it, to help us to learn, to help us to grow, to help us move forward. And so therefore, we consider it a pure joy because we know that God is at work in our lives in these times. When we left off in uh, Acts chapter 7, we saw that Stephen was stoned for his faith. And in his being stoned, he was killed. But there was a, a remarkable moment right before he died. Do you remember what it was? He was on his knees and he was being stoned and he prayed to God a similar prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for what they are doing. Now put yourself in that position. You are being stoned to death. People are throwing rocks. I mean, I'm sure it's hurting a lot. And you're slowly dying. And in the midst of your dying, your words are, Father, forgive them for what they are doing. What a testimony. What powerful words. As Stephen looks out, and, and what does he see? He sees people who are lost. He sees people who don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. His heart aches for them to know Jesus, so much so that he knows it's their sin and their sinfulness that is leading them to do this and therefore ask God to forgive them. What a powerful, te testimony, powerful testimony of love and forgiveness. I think so many Christians have trouble with this uh, concept of being persecuted for their faith. You know, we really don't go, go through that much persecution for our faith in the United States. You know, we heard this before a few times, where, where Christianity is growing the most is where there's the most persecution. In countries where Christians are being persecuted the most, 
is the countries where Christianity is flourishing the most. But we in the United States, we like our comfortable lives, right? We like to be comfortable, and we don't like to be in a place where we're persecuted. We don't want to be looked at as different. We don't want to look, be looked about as weird. We don't want to, to be isolated from others. We don't want people to look at us in a way that is thinking we're not good or right. We don't like that. We don't like to stand out in that way. So oftentimes, we don't necessarily stand up for our faith or speak out about our faith in the way that we probably should. But Stephen gives us an example that says, you need to live in that way. You need to live in the way that no matter what's going to be the response, you are faithful to Christ. See, Stephen was willing to die for his faith because he knew that that was if that's what was going to happen because he stood up for his faith, and he was willing to do it. So we see that God is always at work, even in the midst of persecution. The killing of Stephen put great fear into the hearts of the Christians, right? And we're told in the scriptures that they scattered. The people scattered because Paul... Saul, who we'll later know as Paul, Saul was persecuting the church and he was amping it up. And this was just the start of all that was going to, to happen right after that. And so we read in verses 1 to 3, oh, that's kind of what I said, we should gain great confidence and courage through Stephen's witness as Christ's followers, understanding that God is always at work. And so read the yellow part with me. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now remember, go back to Acts 1.8. Where are you supposed to be witnesses? Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Remember that? Now, they're going to Judea, and they're going to Samaria. Not by choice, but because of this persecution. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. And read with me. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so you're in the midst of this situation, and you're probably fearful for your life, and you're hunkered down in your home, and you hear the front door burst open, and Saul and all these probably uh, guards come in, these soldiers come in, and they start dragging people away. You can only imagine if you're looking out your window and you're seeing your neighbors being dragged away, and they're taken to prison. And so because of that, what do you do? You, you leave, right? You get as far away from this persecution as you can. And so it's, it's moving the, the disciples, the followers of Christ, to farther places away from Jerusalem. They're going to Judea, and they're going to Samaria. And Samaria is going to be important here in a moment in this chapter. So keep that in mind. I'm a great uh, Star Wars fan. I don't know if many of you like Star Wars. Star Wars just came out with a new movie, right? And Star Wars is really interesting because it has some wonderful themes that can be drawn in to the Christian faith. You can think about these themes of good and evil, right? Darkness and the light, or the force as it's called in Star Wars. And what's really great about the, the theme is that here you have the, the Rebel Alliance, and they are being persecuted, right? They're being, there's this great fear because the dark side, the enemy is coming upon them and, 
and invoking fear in their lives, right? Killing people and, and taking them prisoner. And so they believe that bringing fear to the rebel alliance will cause them to give up and lose the battle. But what does it really do? What does this persecution really do? It makes them stronger. It makes them bind together stronger, right? And they rise up to defend themselves. You know, this really is parallel to the the battle that we're facing as Christians, isn't it? We're facing a battle against darkness. We're facing a battle against Satan. Satan wants to evoke fear in us. Satan wants us to think, if I follow Jesus, then my life won't be easy. My life won't be good. My life won't be right. So Satan tries to throw as many barriers and and struggles and, and difficulties in our life to make it difficult to say, maybe this path I'm going down isn't the right path. Maybe there's an easier path. Because Satan wants to derail us. One thing we need to remember as Christians, oh, I, sorry, I skipped over that. So Acts 8.4, those who had been scattered, what? Preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word wherever they went. How important that is to remember that as they were being scattered, what were they doing? They were still preaching the word. The fear was not keeping them from preaching the word. That's what Saul wanted. Saul wanted to cut it off but they were still preaching the word. And we see in Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know who wrote these words? The Apostle Paul. The same Saul who is persecuting, after he becomes a Christian, we'll learn in a couple chapters, after he becomes a Christian, he changes his name to Paul. And Paul is the one who wrote these words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. How ironic that the person that was causing the scattering of the Christians, and in in doing that, was helping the spread of Christianity, is the one that said, you know, as I think back to what I was doing, now I see that God was still at work, even in the midst of all the fear and pain I was causing. And when you're in your life, and you're going along, and you're struggling, and there's trials, why can you have joy? You can have joy because you know that God works for good to those who love him. God will work good into your life. Even in the midst of the trials and the hardships, and probably more so in those because you draw upon him more, and he's there present with you more because you're saying, I need you, God. I need your presence. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom in my life. And you seek him out, and God is there, able to work out the good for you. We see here in Acts chapter 8 that because of the scattering of the message, the word of God, the gospel, is being preached in areas where it would never have been preached before. Because they were kind of comfortable in Jerusalem. They were comfortable in their, their small little area. And they weren't thinking about going beyond themselves. They were thinking, I'm going to just be here in my neighborhood. I'm just going to be here hanging out, doing my thing. And then they were forced to flee, and yet they still were faithful to preaching the gospel of Christ. So Stephen is gone, and what happens with that? Well, God always provides 
for us, right? And so Stephen is gone, but Philip rises up to fill the gap. Philip now becomes the leader that Stephen was. And he goes to Samaria, and he's in Samaria preaching the gospel, beginning his ministry. Now, if you remember, Samaria is that place where Jesus had the encounter with a woman at the well. And Samaria is a place of Gentiles, the enemies of the Jews, the place where they, the Jews would not choose to go on their own. But they were forced to go through this persecution, and now they find themselves in Samaria. And what are they doing? They are preaching the word of God to the Gentiles. Samaria is the place where Jesus outlined his ministry, his expansion of ministry plan to his disciples. And so now we see Samaria begin to hear the gospel more fully. And you see here in verses 5 to 7 what is happening there. Read the yellow with me. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so you see what's going on. You see the power of God working through Stephen, and he's performing these signs and miracles, and he's not taking credit for himself. He's performing these signs and miracles, and he's giving credit to God. And because of that, they're seeing the power of God at work. And what are they doing? They paid close attention what he said. These are important words because here these Gentiles are now beginning to listen intently to the gospel, to who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what that means for them. So what was the result? Well, the result is in verse 8. So there was great joy in that city. You know, when you see the power of God at work, you're joyful, aren't you? When people see the, the power of God at work, they are joyful. Why? Because they like, there is a greater power than me that is at work. There's a greater power than me that can help me. God is there doing the work that I can't do on my own. And one of the greatest works that we have to do that we can't do on our own is proclaiming the gospel, being witnesses, sharing our faith. That's not an easy thing, but God promises to be with us when we do that. And the power of God was seen through Philip. So, now we're going to get to the weight. I need uh, someone who want, will help me do something. Do I have a volunteer, someone who will help me do something? Anyone help me? Carol, you come up. I'm going to come here. I'm going to show you. Here's a 30-pound weight, so I can lift it, no problem, right? And I can lift it over my head, no problem, right? But this is something else that I'm going to do, and I'm going to try to hold it steady in front of me, okay? Let's see if I can do that. Ah, I can't do that. So what I need, I need you to come over here and put your hand on both sides of the weight, and you're going to lift it up with all your strength. We're going to hold it steady. See? How's that? Now, if she let go, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> so you can let go, though. Thank you. Thank you. So, there were some things I could do on my own, right? I could curl it. I could lift it over my head. No problem. I said, oh, I can do this on my own. But when I tried to, to lift it in front of me, I couldn't do that on my own. It was too heavy. It was too difficult. But with the help of another person, no problem. 
able to hold it steady, no problem. We need to think through in our lives. Where do I need the help of God in my life? Where am I struggling a little bit? Where do I feel a little weak? Where do I feel like maybe I don't have enough wisdom? Maybe where do I need a little more guidance? And then I want you to say, God, be with me in that. God, give me the strength I need to do that. God, give me the wisdom I need to know how to act. God, be with me and empower me to do what you call me to do. It's very important that we understand that God is there for us. See, sometimes the trials and the hardships come because of our own doing, right? We make a bad decision, we cause a problem for ourselves. We make a wrong choice, we go down the wrong path, we get in the wrong relationship, whatever. We, we cause our own problems sometimes. But sometimes God allows situations, heartache, trouble, struggles to come into our life so that we'll say, God, I can't do this on, the, on my own. I need your help. Sometimes God needs to wake us up a little bit to turn us back to him, to seek him for help and for strength. And so we get to um, this situation where we've seen, we've seen the power of God at work, but now we see a new power introduced. And we're going to find this in verses 9 to 11. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. And amazed all the people of Samaria, he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. And then read with me. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So you have two situations. Don't you? you have Philip on the one hand, you see the power of God. And then on the other side, you have Simon, the sorcerer. And the people are so amazed by the power that he's exhibiting in his sorcery that they are following him. I don't know if you know this movie, The Illusionist. I was watching it not too long ago, and the illusionist's name is Eisenheim. And on the right, you see um, the uh, woman that they grew up together. When they were young, they were friends. But because she was from royalty and he was not, they were told that they could not hang out together. They could not be friends. They could not be together. And so her family took her away, and Eisenheim didn't see her for a long time. Well, then many years passed, and he came across her again. At this time, he was a duchess. She was a duchess, and she was engaged to be married to the crown prince. But she didn't really want to marry the crown prince, especially when she met Eisenheim again. And they wanted to get married. But of course, you know, political powers and all that was going on, they were not allowed to be together. So Eisenheim, being this illusionist, created this plan, and in this plan, he made it seem like the crown prince killed the duchess. And then she disappears. Well, the crown prince being very powerful, they couldn't just come out and say, well, you killed the duchess, so you know, we're going to arrest you. They couldn't do that. And so they basically just kind of let it go. People were just going to forget about it, right? But Eisenheim wanted to get back at the crown prince. And so he, he created this show where he, it was believed that he was conjuring up these spirits. 
And one day in his show, he conjures up the spirit or the supposed spirit of the duchess. And the people out there are all amazed at these spirits and they're, they're appearing and they're talking. And she tells the crowd that the crown prince killed her. And of course, the, the crowd believes what is told. And I, wanna, I don't want to tell the end of the story for you because if you want to watch the movie, then, you know, I mean, don't you hate people that give away the end of the movie? So you can figure out, you know, you can watch the movie. It's a good movie. You can watch the movie and see the end. But the whole thing is, he wasn't really conjuring up spirits. It was all an illusion. But the people were amazed by it, and they believed it. And that's what's going on with Simon the sorcerer. He is not using the power of God, but they're calling him what? The great power of God. He's deceiving them. Either it's an illusion or it's from the power of Satan, but whatever it is, it is not of God. And the people are being confused and deceived. But when Philip comes along, the true power of God is displayed. And we see this in 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news, remember he's doing these signs and they're listening to his words, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. See, they believed and they were baptized, both men and women. Read with me. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Simon the sorcerer. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So here, Simon was doing some signs, right? But then he sees the true power of God working through Philip, and he too believes. And now as people were following Simon, now Simon is following Philip. Amazed at the power of God working in and through Philip's life. So, this is what it means to lead someone to Christ, right? You proclaim the gospel, they believe, and then, in essence, they kind of follow you. I mean, they probably don't, like, go to work with you and then say, hey, Arnold, you know, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm in your car today, and I'm just going to be with you today. They probably aren't doing that. But if you are the one that leads someone, if you share Christ with someone and they believe, it's kind of now under you with your responsibility to say, I need to make sure this person grows. Maybe you help them get to a Sunday school class, or maybe, maybe you help them to, to know. Maybe you should read the Gospel of John, or whatever you do, you should check in on it and make sure that they're, they're learning and they're hearing and they're growing, right? Because this beginning stage is really a tricky stage for a new believer. Because Satan doesn't want them to grow and mature in their faith. And so Satan will try to deceive them. Satan will try to bring other people, false teachings into their life and try to get them to believe false things, try to confuse them. And it's at this time that we as a church and that we as a people of God should be walking alongside those who are new in their faith so that they can become strong. We have a responsibility as a church to make sure that we are growing and maturing our people to become strong and faithful Christians. Because the ultimate thing of what we want is, this is how it goes. Someone becomes a Christian, and they grow in their faith, and they grow under the faith to where they're strong enough to now disciple someone else. They share the message with someone else, that person becomes a believer, and then they help them along until that person believes and is able to share the gospel with someone else and disciple them. That is how it's supposed to be. A lot of times we say, oh, the session or the pastor, that's the person that's supposed to do all the discipling, right? No, each one of us is supposed to be discipling people. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel. We're supposed to be making sure that people are growing in their faith. Now, just imagine, just imagine with me for a moment that each one of us 
We're at the beginning of the year, right? Each one of us leads one person to Christ this year and helps them grow in their faith in the year. Could you imagine how powerful that would be for our church? If every one of us just led one person to Christ and helped them grow in their faith. One, only one. You have 300 and, well, day seven. So you have 358 days now. Well, today's still a day. So 359 days to lead one person to Christ. Would you pray that each day? Would you say, God, just, just help me lead one person to Christ this year? Just one person. How powerful that would be for our church if we even just led one person to Christ. And so we have uh, Simon becomes a believer. And Peter and John come hearing about all the work that Philip is doing, and they pray for the people. And the people are filled with the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, Simon is not filled with the Holy Spirit. And Simon doesn't like this, because why? He doesn't have that extra power from God being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what does Simon try to do? He tries to buy the Holy Spirit. He says, Philip, can I uh, buy the Holy Spirit from you? How much would it cost for you to give me the Holy Spirit? How much would it cost for me to have that power of God in me? You see where Simon's going wrong? Simon wants the Holy Spirit. Why? For his own selfish reasons. He had this sorcery, this power, and people were looking at him and following him. And now he says, now I can have even a greater power. I can have the power of God. I want it. I'll, I'll pay anything that you want me to pay so that I can have it. And, and don't, don't you see that happen in new Christians? A lot of times when people become new in their faith, this is why they need discipleship. This is why they need teaching. This is why they need training. Because they're like, you know, I want to become a Christian so that my problems in my life will go away. Or I want to become a Christian because I believe God will give me more money. Or I, I want to become a Christian because I think that God will do really great things. You know, I'll be able to do really great things, even greater things than I can do now with God in my life. And it's all about them. It's all about the selfishness of what I want for me. And this is where we all need to understand, no, it's always about God. We serve God. We worship God. We give God the glory. We give God the praise. And God will work in and through us when we bear fruit for him. And so Simon is a little confused at this time and has to be led to understanding that you can't buy the Holy Spirit. God will give you the Holy Spirit when it's the right time. And then we get to our last story, which um, Philip's going along, and he comes across this eunuch who is reading the Word of God. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard this eunuch, the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. And Philip says, do you understand what you are reading? And then read with me. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Wouldn't that be great if someone said, hey, will you explain this passage to me? I was, I was reading it. I was struggling. How wonderful. I would love if anybody ever said, Pastor, I'm reading this passage. I don't understand it. Will you explain it to me? That would be wonderful. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen that easily most of the time, does it? You have to kind of prod and encourage and help people to, to understand. You need to read the Bible. You need to understand the Bible. And if you need help, I'll help you understand it. 
But for Philip, it was really easy. Um, he was asking him about him. And so Philip begins to tell the eunuch that this passage in Isaiah is talking about Jesus and how you need to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and how that is really not as much for the earthly benefits as much as for eternal significance. That God changes your life now and works in your life now, but also it goes on for all of eternity. And so we accept Jesus Christ because we need our sins forgiven. We accept Jesus Christ because it restores us in that relationship with God. We accept Jesus into our life because we are lost and we need to be found. We need to have our way found and we need to have our path clear before us. And so we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so the eunuch hears about this and he accepts Jesus and Philip baptizes him. And then we're told that Philip goes on his way, continuing to preach the gospel. And the eunuch goes on rejoicing because now the eunuch realizes that in Jesus he has all that he needs. He's rejoicing because his sins have been washed away. He is rejoicing because his life has been forever changed as he is now connected with the God of all creation. And he's rejoicing because he understands that he is to live for God and not for himself. And because of that, now he has joy in his life. And as I said before, Philip goes on and preaches the gospel. And here's the last thing I want to talk about briefly. You know, Philip, we see him lead Simon the sorcerer to the Lord, didn't he? And we see him lead the eunuch to the Lord. And a lot of times we'll say, you know, I said, maybe you can lead one person to Christ this year, right? It'd be easy if you led one person to Christ and say, whew, I did it. Whew. I'm so glad I don't have anything else I have to do this year. I'm done, right? We kind of rest on our laurels, as they say, right? But Stevens doesn't do that, does he? He sees Simon the sorcerer come to faith. He sees the eunuch come to faith. And what does he do? He continues to preach the gospel because he knows that that's what he's called to do by God. And he knows that he cannot live each day of his life without telling people the most important news they could ever hear, that Jesus Christ can be your Savior and your Lord and can change your life forever. And so I pray as we close in this time and as we move to communion that we would think about what does it mean to live my life for God? Am I living in the way that the power of God is shining through me? Because you know what? When the power of God shines through your life, people are interested. People are curious. People will ask, what, what's going on in your life? Why, why are you always joyful? Why are you able to, to be joyful even in the midst of your trials? Why are you able to, to overcome the hardships of your life? Why? What is going on? Tell me what's going on. And then you have an opportunity to share your faith. When the power of God is at work in your life, I have been freed from cancer. Amen. Share that with people. How did that happen? God did a miracle in my life, and I am free of cancer. And the power of God shines through, and then people want to know what is going on. And so I pray that each one of us would be committed to sharing the gospel, to letting the power of God flow in and through our lives, and to seek to lead one person to Christ this year. Let's pray.